you, thank you. I feel blessed. So great to be with you. It's Christmas. Woo! Father, I want to thank you for each person here today. Lord God, you have an appointment with each and every one of them. Lord God, let this not just be a sermon, just a preach. Lord God, I, I want to ask for a connection between each person and your word, a connection between each person and Jesus Christ. Lord God, I'm praying today that every person would leave changed. Lord God, you came and you stepped down into our world because you could not bear to be without us. Lord God, I'm asking that that same passion and zeal that drove you towards this mission, Lord God, would be in our hearts, Lord God, that we would overflow with a love for you, Lord God. We would be consumed with a passion for Christ. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and lead us. Speak to us. Deliver us from mediocrity, Lord God. Father, I'm praying. I'm asking. Lord God, don't let us be a mediocre people. Lord God, let us be a people passionate for you, overwhelmed by your love, consumed with your mission, Lord God. Let us be that people, Lord God. I'm praying that every person here, who get, when we get to the end of our lives, Lord God, there would be no regrets. Lord God, we would have looked back on our lives and say we lived every moment in the power of your spirit. We lived every moment for the... For the mission of Christ, Lord God, we lived every moment in your presence with you. Lord God, let that be who we are, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. I'm so happy to be preaching today. So happy. Can you tell? <laughs> I, maybe it's because I want to work off a few calories. But, I, but talking about Jesus and what he did, what a privilege. What a privilege. We are continuing our, our series, Christmas One of a Kind, and we've, we've looked at that God knows what it means to be human. We've looked at that God knows what it means to be God, that he's good at that. We've looked at living in the love that keeps giving, and today we're going to be looking at looking at history through the lens of love. I was so impacted by Andrew's sermon last week. It just really, you know, just the meditating on God's love just did something in my own soul. And if you haven't listened to that, please go ahead and listen to that. Um, so, so impacting and so life transforming. Looking at history through the lens of love. I was about eight when I first got hold of a pair of binoculars. And these particular binoculars were were like made for adults and they weren't very adjustable so I couldn't get the you know the two sides to fit my little eyes my eight-year-old eyes so I had to only look through one side with one eye closed and I was so fascinated how everything was so close and my sister who was about five meters away from me I I you know in, in kind of like a giggling way I tried to kind of swipe at her because she looked like she was right in front of me everyone thought it was hilarious and then I went walking around the house you know trying to catch things that weren't there because they looked like they were closer than they were. I think I'm. I probably like crashed into the coffee table, bumped my shins. You know, probably, probably walked into a chair. You know, because you know what? When you've got binoculars on, even though you're seeing some things clearly, there's a lot you're not seeing. And you know, life is like that. It depends what lens you have in front of your eyes. It depends on what you're going to see. And the problem is, if you've got the wrong lens in front of your eyes, you're going to be bumping into a lot of things. You're going to be seeing the wrong things. You're going to be misunderstanding the world around you. Yes. 
And today what I'm hoping to do is that we will, we will draw back and we will, we will examine our lenses, but we will also say, God, I want to look at the world through the lens of love, through what Jesus Christ did this Christmas day that we are celebrating. It wasn't this exact day, but the day that we're celebrating when he stepped down onto earth. Lord God, let that frame everything we see. Let that, let that um, influence everything around us. Let the world be seen by us through this lens of love. We are going to continue with the scripture that we were, we've been looking at all the time through the series. We've been preaching through this particular scripture. We declared it at the beginning of the service. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Thank you, Lord. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord Jesus, let this be true. Let this be true. We spend most of our time in the last couple of weeks in the first verse, which ends with um, Prince of Peace. We talked about how Jesus knows what it means to be human, that, that we have a God who, who's in our now, who's in our weakness, and who is, is our victory. We looked at how he is wonderful counsel, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You remember... Oh, that's only if you watched the online service yesterday. But he, he is the one who calls us into family, helps us to find our tribe. He opens the doors for us, gives us opportunities. He's the one who cuts through the confusion and makes a way for us. He is almighty God, the one for whom nothing is impossible. And today we're going to start looking at of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. When Isaiah was writing this prophecy 400 years approximately before Jesus Christ came, he was, he was speaking to the aspirations of Israel. He was speaking to the aspirations of a nation. And he was, he was painting a picture that there would come one who would be a, a ruler, a governor, who would be so great, so magnificent, so perfect, who would bring into this earth the rule and reign of God, and that his government would, would continuously increase, that there would, be a, there would be a way where all of society would be filled with God's goodness, his justice, his righteousness, his perfection. And that Israel would be riding the crest of this wave and, and God would be on his throne and all would be well in the earth. Come on. But not only was he speaking to the aspirations of Israel, God was reaching through the centuries, through, through the millennia to you and, and speaking to your aspirations. And he was saying, there is one who is holding the government of the whole world on his shoulders. There is one who is king of the world and he's come in the form of Jesus Christ and your, your world, your existence can rest under the beauty and the magnificence of this leadership. Yeah. 
that peace can be your portion. That entire nations can be brought under the rulership of a God who is so perfect, who knows how to put everything in its right place. He's speaking to the aspirations, not only of a nation so many thousands of years ago, but he's, he's speaking to the aspirations of humanity throughout history and throughout the future. Because this is what we were born for. We were born for a world where Jesus is king. Amen. We were born for a world where God rules. Yes. Everything within us yearns for that, whether we know it or not. Yeah. Jesus alluded to this particular part of scripture when he described the kingdom. He said the kingdom would be like leaven. Some of you don't know what that is because you've never made bread. But leaven is the yeast that you put in bread, bread dough, and it works its way through the dough and causes the bread to rise. If you've ever worked with this, you'll know it is relentless. No matter what you do, that bread will keep rising. You can bash it down, it will keep rising. You can bash it down, it'll keep rising. It's relentless. And, and Jesus said, that's what my kingdom is like. You cannot hold it back. You cannot push it down. It will just keep growing. He said, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. I mean, you think about a seed. You plant a seed. It forms a tree. It gets more seeds. You plant those trees. They get trees. They become more trees. They become more trees. One seed becomes a forest and it never stops dropping its seeds, planting more trees, dropping its seeds, planting more seeds. It's like that. It just keeps going. That's his kingdom. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, he says, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. This is what he's saying. He's saying, my, my stepping my foot on this physical earth is just the thin end of the wedge. It's just the point of the spear. I'm coming, I'm doing a work, but there is so much more on the way. And it's never going to stop. Of the increase of my government and peace, there will no, be no end. I'm stepping on here to start something that will never stop. That will never stop. It will just keep growing. Behind me comes the force of the living God, and he is working his way into every part of society. He will not be stopped. He's relentless. His love is ever growing, and he will have the whole world as his own. That's right. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will no, be no end. I'm going to put it another way. God has moved into the neighborhood, and he's here to stay. God has moved into your neighborhood, and he's here to stay. He's not going anywhere. He has an agenda, and he's working it, and he will not stop until it is done. The only question remains, whose side will you be on? That's the only question that remains. The outcome is absolutely certain. You see, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, there is this theme. And it goes like this, is that God made earth so that he could dwell physically with mankind on this earth. He came and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
when he was drawing Israel out of Egypt and, and bringing them to the promised land and they were wandering through the wilderness, he came to be with them on a daily basis in that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. Yeah. His, his presence led them. His desire was to be with them. When Moses stood on that mountaintop negotiating with God about the future of Israel who had sinned so badly, he said to God, don't leave us, lead us up from here unless your presence goes with us. Yeah. Honestly, don't send an angel, don't send a chariot, don't send an army unless you go with us. Don't lead us from here. Because he had caught something. That this, this is the point of all of history is to be with God. And him with us. This is the point of everything. And then Jesus steps down and he says, let me show you. Let me show you this God. Here I am. See your father. See your almighty God. See your wonderful counselor. Here I am. Yeah. And we see the incredible Picture at the end of all of history in the book of Revelation where from heaven comes the new Jerusalem. And it, I mean, I just, what, is it, what does it look like when a city lands on the earth? I mean, it's, it's got to make a big thud. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just hear it, bam, and the whole earth just shakes. Now, I don't know if that's a literal or a figurative. I don't know, I don't know how history is exactly going to end, but I do know this God will step down to live with us forever. Yeah. All of history work is working towards the same end. God taking possession of all the earth. That's right. All its peoples. All its institutions. Jesus Christ enthroned. Of the government. Of the increase of his government. And peace there will be no end. God has moved into the neighborhood to stay. So what do we do in response to that? Our job as we walk this journey through our lives is to cultivate an awareness of this. Because you see, our entire upbringing, the entire culture around us before we came to know Jesus Christ has molded our thinking to be independent beings that just live out our aspirations and desires through sheer brute effort to try and make it happen. And where has it gotten us? Not very far. So the point of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and around us is to begin to remold our thinking. To begin to take us away from that autonomous, human-centered living and bring us into greater and greater awareness of Christ with us. Yes. The hope of glory. To know his presence with him, with us, to understand that he's here, that he's a breath away, that he's that he's speaking, that he's living, that he's leading, that he's that he's moving in our midst. And this giant kingdom is expanding on a daily basis, and we can be a part of it. We can we can take our minds from the fruitless endeavors of just humanism and put it in the kingdom reality. 
of walking with Christ on a minute-by-minute basis, of being aware of His presence, of responding to His leading, of living in His love, of allowing our love channels to be open so that we are constantly feeling the love and belonging of the kingdom, that we're responding to our world from that place of wholeness, not brokenness. And that we're carrying His truth wherever we go. We're looking through our neighbor, through that lens of love, of his presence. We're seeing people made in his image, and we're calling out their destiny, saying, come walk with me in this beautiful journey that I'm on. Yeah, that's right. So we cultivate a new awareness. On David's throne... On David's throne and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness now and forevermore, he says. You see, God and David, King David, had an incredible relationship. You know, David wasn't perfect. If you've ever gone and read First and Second Samuels and around there, there in the book of the Bible, you'll, you'll read that David was a man after God's heart, passionate about Jesus. But you know what? He did, he did some, some crazy things, some things that you would not even dream of, like, like murdering people and stuff. Thank you for not dreaming about that. But you see, God had made David a promise. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David had wanted to build God a temple. And God came to him and said, thanks so much for the thought. Really, really appreciate it. But I don't want you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. Your son can build me a house, but me, I'm going to build you a house. And he said, this house will be a ruling family that will dwell on the throne that you you occupy and will rule Israel forevermore. I, I will be with your lineage and I will make a way for your lineage to always be on the throne. He made David that promise. And Isaiah now, the, the, nation, the nation of Judah, which was... Uh, David's tribe, was now about to go into captivity. They were, they, they were clearly, it was, they were about to have a king removed and there was, there was no David, David monarch on the throne. And there wasn't going to be for a while. And, and, and Isaiah was saying to them, but remember, God made you a promise. He made David a promise. And he will always be true to that promise. So no matter what we, no matter the fact that we have some temporary problems right here, God will be faithful. He will be true to his promises. Because you see, you may forget God, but God will never forget you. This is the message of this part of the prophecy. That if God made you a promise, he will fulfill it. Here's here's the hectic thing, is even if you stray, 
God is still going to fulfill his promise to you. You just might not know it because you might not be there. But God is that faithful. That is, God is that faithful. That even if you forget him, he will not forget you. Those promises he's made to you, he will fulfill them. Not because you're fantastic, but because he is. And he cannot betray his nature. You may forget God, but he will not forget you. So what do we do about this? You know, when I was around 12, I asked my dad for a car. You know, every 12-year-old has this aspiration. And we want a fast car. We want a shiny car. We want a car with a fantastic sound system that when we drive past, everyone within like a 50-meter radius of the car will hear our music because our music is the music. You know how it is. That's that's the dream of every 12-year-old. And I asked my dad for a car. And you know what my dad said? He was a good dad. He said, yes. When you're ready. Now, I could have just thrown my hands in the air and said, my dad doesn't like me. My dad doesn't give me anything I want. I don't even know if I want to stay in this house. I'm going out to make my own way. I'm going to go and find my own car. I mean, I could have gone out and done that. Praise the Lord, I had a little bit more sense. Because, you see, my dad was right. He wasn't saying no. He was saying, oh my, I mean, I, I want to be honest, the car I, he did finally give me wasn't fast or shiny or didn't have a great music system. But nonetheless, he gave me a car. <laughs> when I was at Varsity, it was a little beat-up green VW Beetle. Oh my gosh, I love that car. But, but you see, what he did, he said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my child the blessing she's asking for. But in order for her to be ready for that blessing, I'm going to have to do some training. My friend, you got it. We are gonna have to we are gonna have to work on some skill sets. We are gonna have to work on some responsibility. She's gonna have to get some maturity. But when the time comes, I heard her and I'm faithful and I'm making her a promise I will get her a car. And he got me a car, and he got me ready. And when me and that car met, my gosh, we had fun. What kept me between the time when God said yes until the fulfillment of that promise, or when my dad said yes, sorry, and the fulfillment of the promise, what kept me? I remembered that I was my dad's daughter. And I knew that my dad was faithful. And so what I could do, I could just daily just rest in that. He said he'd get me a car. I can trust him. He's, he's, I, you know, he's teaching me responsibly. He's saying, clean up your room. 
And I'm going to do that because it's all preparation for that great car that's coming. He's teaching me responsibility. You know, at, at 17 or whatever, he got me in the car and he started teaching me and it was terrifying and, and my gosh, it was hard. But, but I said, yes, why? Because I remembered whose I was. I remembered that I belonged to him. And I remembered that he was good. And so I could endure this, this interim period because God's faithful to his promises. I may forget him, but he will never forget me. Remember whose you are. The last part of that scripture says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. I mean, zeal is not a word we use very often. It sounds like a cleaning kind of fluid. Zeal is not a word we use very, in, very often. But it literally means loving passion. It's what I felt when I first got that car. I mean, you mess with my car, you mess with me. It's like a passionate, fiery love. And you see, right at the end, this is what he's saying. He's saying, my zeal will do this. I'm passionately invested in this outcome. So I'm going to do this no matter what. We, we looked at, um, a week ago in Andrew's sermon, we looked at the love of God, and oh my gosh, it's just something you just want to sit in, and you just want to meditate on. You want it, like, it to seep into your pores. You just, you just want to, you can't get enough of it. We very, we very, very quickly go to that affectionate, compassionate love of God. And of course, we need to learn how to open our hearts to us, many hearts to that. Many of us don't do that. It's, it's like we, we have so many issues that we're pushing God away the whole time. But really, we have to learn how to open our hearts to that love right. and receive that love. Yeah. But there's another side to God's love yeah. that we don't often talk about. And zeal incorporates this compassionate, loving, gentle, nurturing part of God's love, but it also includes this other part of God's love, which is the fire and violence with which he will push away evil from the ones he loves. It's an angry, jealous love that says, you touch what I love and I will kill you. And you see, it's the, it's the motivation that when Jesus stepped down into this earth, he, he, had, he had stuff to do. And part of it was to show the love of God to mankind. But the other part was to defeat evil. And it was this zeal that allowed him to go toe-to-toe with the enemy and say, you desist, move aside, get away, you're in my territory, you may not be here. It was the fire and the, the violence and the passion that allowed him to hang on that cross. It was the passion with which he cast out demons, destroyed sickness. It was a zeal and a passion for his beloved. Come on. It's the same zeal with which he said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He didn't just love her. Yeah. He also said, I've got my love must also do this. My love must also cleanse you. That's right. 
My love must also set you free. My love must also call out where you have been in league with evil. If I say the word snake, how do you all feel? I'm just, I'm just debating whether to actually go do this analogy or not. But you see, there's, there's a way in which human beings have got so used to evil around us that sometimes we, we see a cute little snake and we say, oh my gosh, that's so sweet, I'm just going to make it my pet. I know you say no, but we make evil our pet all the time. We cultivate jealousy. We cultivate anger. We cultivate uh, lust. We, we, we let it live with us. Yeah. And we make a nice place in the bed with us, and it sleeps with us, and we, we, we keep it with us. And you're all shaking your heads, but yes, it's you too. And then we shake our fists at God when that darn thing bites us in the leg. But you see, his fiery love is this. He's going to nurture you and tenderly leave you, but he's also going to be very angry and, and violently opposed to that snake in your bed. That deception in your soul. That selfishness in your attitude. The places where you cultivate and nurture sin. Oh, it's not so bad. You know, there are other people that are doing much worse than me. Yeah. Yeah. That is true, though. <laughs> My husband's saying that's true, that other people are much worse than him. <laughs> but you see, we can't accept one part of God's love without the other. That's good. And the zeal of the Lord will will accomplish this yeah. because he knows better about your life than you do. He's wiser than you are. That's right. He knows when you're ready to drive the car and when you're not. And you know, we must trust him in the loving, gentle kindness that he leads us with, but we must also trust him in his discipline. Yeah. We must trust him when he says no. We must trust him when he points out things in our lives and says, don't do that. Come on. We must allow him to change us. Amen. Guys, we've got to do this. Honestly, we must be as vehemently antagonistic towards sin in our own lives as he is. Because otherwise you will never live in the fullness of the joy that he actually has from you. And I'm telling you, there are people here that things are coming to your mind. And shame is wanting to creep over you and say, she can't be talking about this. She must be talking about everything else. No, I'm talking about that. And I'm not doing it to shame you or to embarrass you. I'm, I'm pleading with you. Yeah. Hear the love of God. Get free. Do what it takes to get free. Speak to someone. Talk about it. Hold yourself accountable. Find people who will lovingly walk with you so that we can all live in the fullness of what God has for us. We can all drive those fast, shiny cars with the incredible music. Come on. Good word. 
God is both kind and jealous. And our response to that is love God and fear only him. Because here's the beauty, <laughs> is that when we, when we not only allow the love of God, but we, but we, see, we see the, I mean, the affectionate love of God, but we see the, the, the vehement, uh, strong love of God on the other side, and we say, you know what? I, I, want to, I want to resist the things that would awaken that part of God's love. So I am going to love and be loved by God, but I'm also going to fear only him. I'm not going to fear what my neighbor thinks of me. I'm not going to fear whether I will be accepted in society or not. I'm not going to fear those things. I'm going to only fear God. Good. And there's a freedom in that that is so powerful, Good. so powerful, and it's yours for the taking. In conclusion, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 God moved in to stay, so we cultivate a new awareness of his presence. God will never forget you. Remember whose you are. God is both kind and jealous. Love God and fear only him. Brilliant. Lord Jesus, I come and I ask for every person here. Lord God, let this be our portion. Lord God, we want to look at all of our lives through the lens of love. Lord God, let us see you in the good times and let us see when you are disciplining us that that this is your love leading us to freedom. Let us cooperate with your presence. Lord God, as you've moved into our world to stay, let us stay with you, cultivating an awareness of your presence with us. Let your love be the guiding force that takes us forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends. We're going to go out with a song. Then you're going to go and recover from Christmas in any way you need to. You're going to love your neighbors. Let God love you and eat that leftover turkey or whatever it is and have a blast of a day. Come on. Amen and amen. Thank you, worship team.